how much power does your God have? We're entering this season where many people think about Jesus in the manger, and we do and will recognize and preach on the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how much power does your God have? This morning we find ourselves in the book of Revelation, the very last book of Scripture, the Revelation of John. Of course, John the Apostle wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd letters or epistles of John and then also the book of Revelation. Uh, And in the book of Revelation, we're going to find our text verse in Revelation chapter number 19. Revelation chapter number 19. We're going to read Revelation chapter number 19, verses uh, 6 through 10. Verses 6 through 10. And then I will focus on our text verse this morning, which I'll reveal to you here in just a moment. Revelation chapter number 19, verse number 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The text for our message this morning comes from verse number 6. And we give, I try to give the titles of the messages biblical titles. So the title of the message this morning is The Lord God Omnipotent. The Lord God Omnipotent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you saved us by your grace. You called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And Lord, we're so thankful that we're uh, not what we should be or what we will be, but we're not what we were. And we thank you that you've changed us and made us new creations in Christ and you've created us unto good works. Lord, help us to recall that and remember that. And Lord, help us to remember your power and your might. To remember that you're not a God that's far away at a distance, but you're a God that's very near and all-powerful. Lord, help us in the midst of life's routines and Lord, certainly in our, our struggles here on earth to remember that and also to remember that as it relates to our fidelity and loyalty and obedience to you in our walk here on this earth and lord may in all things you be lifted up for you truly are omnipotent and all-powerful it's in Jesus' name we pray amen john describes the magnificent praise that accompanies the announcement of christ at the marriage supper of the lamb now when the lord returns in the clouds to take his people up That's the first appearance of the Lord. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to occur in two phases. He's going to appear the first time in the clouds and he's going to call his people up. And if we're alive and here on the earth at that time, we're going to go up. If we're dead and our bodies are in the graves, we're still going to go up. And so we're going to be with the Lord. Now, 
That's going to commence what's referred to uh, as the seven-year tribulation period here on this earth. And that tribulation period is divided into two equal halves, three and a half years, two three and a half year periods. During the first phase of that tribulation period that's taking place here on the earth, what's going to be happening in heaven is we're all going to appear, all the saints of God are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You'll find that mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse 10 and also in 1 Corinthians 3. And I do intend to preach on that subject here in the coming weeks. Also what's going to take place is what is referred to here in Revelation chapter number 19 as the marriage supper of the Lamb. Christ is going to be joined together with his bride, which I believe is the New Testament church. And we find that Christ is announced in Revelation chapter number 19 and verse number 6. And we find the praise and adoration that is heaped upon him in verse number 6. In fact, the Bible says that there's the voice of a great multitude, the voice of many waters, the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia! Alleluia! Praise be to the Lord! Hallelujah! is the literal meaning of that Greek word. And I believe that who they're referring to here when he talks about the Lord God omnipotent reigning is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is described as omnipotent. The word omnipotent in the Greek literally means he who holds sway over all. It also means the all-ruling, absolute, universal, sovereign, almighty. Beloved, in Scripture... God and the Lord Jesus Christ are portrayed as all-powerful, omnipotent. This phrase, omnipotent, refers to the power of God. God can do anything. That is, anything that is within His nature. A.H. Strong, <coughs> the great theologian, and we studied his work on systematic theology in our Bible Institute, he wrote in reference to God's omnipotent power, he says, By this we mean the power of God to do all things which are objects of power, whether with or without the use of means. And so God can, can do all. I asked you at the beginning of the message, how powerful is your God? If your God is not all powerful, then you are worshiping the wrong God. The God of Scripture is omnipotent. He is all powerful. Now, you and I as the people of God ought to recognize and understand the Lord God omnipotent. And I want us this morning, as we think about this, to consider three practical insights into God's omnipotence. Three practical insights. First of all, we must focus, we would be uh, remiss if we didn't, to focus on the ability of God's power. The ability of God's power. But then secondly... We also have to think about the abstinences of God's power. God withholds His power. The abstinences of God's power. And then thirdly, the authority of God's power. And so these are three practical insights that we consider this morning when thinking about the Lord God omnipotent and God's omnipotence. We first of all begin by looking at this practical insight the ability of God's power. God's omnipotence refers to His ability and that leads us to think about His might. Now in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, 
There are a number of words that are that are Greek words that are translated in our English Bible power, right? And one of those words is dunamis. And dunamis, of course, again, I've mentioned this multiple times, we get our English word dynamite from that. And I won't do my J.J. Uh, Walker uh, impression or imitation, only some of you will get that this morning. Um, but God is all-powerful. God is, God is dynamite. God is, His ability is all-powerful. There's nothing lacking in the ability of God. You and I have things that we want to accomplish in this life. We have things that we want to do, and we have things that we want to see happen, but we lack the power to carry them out. That is true, is it not? Um, well, I won't go there. I was going to make a. I was going to use an illustration about something that I wanted to do, but I'll I'll forego that. I won't won't put you through that. Something that I wanted to do last Saturday that I didn't have the power to do. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be playing football for uh, you know Ohio State or any anyone else at my age. I would take a hit and uh, probably die. Okay, but uh, but man, the the spirit's willing. Like, put me out there, man. I want to knock some heads. Uh, in a good way, right? In a, in, a, in a sporting way, okay? There are things that we want to do that we don't have the power or the ability to do. Is that not true? It's true. Of course it is. Not with God. God has the ability and the power to do whatever it is that He chooses to do. I want you to think as we look at this practical insight uh, in reference to the Lord God omnipotent and His ability to do whatever He desires... I want you to think, first of all, his ability displayed in creation. In creation. Uh, we're talking about now the physical realm of God's power. God can bring something out of nothing. I love to do woodwork, right? I love to build, I love to go to Home Depot or Menards or Lowe's and get some wood and bring that wood home and mold it and fashion it into something. And you get to see the finished product and you say, hey, you know what, this came from that, Right? But you know what? I didn't bring something out of nothing. I had the material to work with, right? I had to have the two-by-fours or the, the oak wood or whatever it is that I'm going to use to build and fashion into what I want to finally produce. God can bring something out of nothing. In other words, He can make the products that He uses to fashion what He wants to fashion. And so we're talking about the physical realm and we see God's ability in creation. You don't have the ability to create something out of nothing. God does and did. Listen to Jeremiah. We'll read two verses out of the book of Jeremiah that prove God's ability, His omnipotence, as it relates to creation. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 12, Jeremiah writes, He hath made the earth by His power. He hath established the world by His wisdom and hath stretched out the heavens by His discretion. So God did what He wanted to do. He had the ability to do it. And then in Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse number 17, the Bible reads, Ah, Lord God, behold, Thou hast made the heaven and the earth by Thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for Thee. Now, when we think about God's omnipotence and His power through His ability in creation, and we're talking about the physical realm and we read in Jeremiah where Jeremiah writes, Nothing is too hard for thee. That ought to give us encouragement today. That ought to build us up and edify us to know that whatever our difficulties are and whatever our problems are, God has the ability to handle that. We look at situations and we say, 
Well, I lack the ability to remedy this. Well, you might, but God doesn't. And God can take care of that. God can. God has the ability to do what He wants to do in the physical realm. And that ought to affect how we live here on this earth. We ought not to go around downtrodden all the time and defeated creatures. We're going to have ups and downs. We're going to have periods of depression. We're going to have periods where we're downcast. But we don't stay there, right? We get up because we are convinced about God's ability and His omnipotence as it relates to the physical realm. And we see that displayed in creation. Then we see God's ability displayed in the spiritual realm through conversion. Through conversion. And here we're talking about salvation. Now we've talked about God's ability in the physical realm to do whatever it is that He pleases to do. And that gives us encouragement. You know what else gives us encouragement? God does as He pleases in the spiritual realm. Where We're talking about conversion. Some of us, in fact, I would say probably all of us here, uh, we should. If, if we're not, then something's wrong there. But we, we probably have people that we prayed for for years that the Lord would save them. That they, that they would be saved by the grace of God. And I say something's wrong with us if we're not praying for that. Because, like, why, why are we not praying for our loved ones to be saved? Why are we not praying for our friends and acquaintances to be saved? We should be praying for them to be saved. And when we pray, we don't pray that they would save themselves. We pray that God would save them. And so when we're talking about conversion, God has the ability, Christ has the ability uh, in, in the spiritual realm to save and, and, and to accomplish what we can't accomplish. Listen to Isaiah. I focused on Jeremiah as it related to the physical realm and creation. Now I'll focus on Isaiah in the spiritual realm. In Isaiah 50 and verse number 2. Isaiah 50 and verse number 2. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea, I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh because there is no water and dieth for thirst. And so here we have the Lord through the prophet Isaiah talking about spiritually speaking and he poses these questions do, do, is my hand shortened that I can't redeem do I not have power to deliver and I believe it refers to delivering from sin and then he says I have power physically why would I not have power spiritually and so the Lord has the ability to convert to soul that ought to again give you and I encouragement as we pray for those lost loved ones it ought to give us encouragement as we think about our own spiritual situation here on this earth. Man, we struggle and we fight against the flesh <coughs> and against our adversary, the enemy, Satan. And, uh, you know, anytime you're involved in a fight, you're going to get tired, right? You're going to get tired. If you've, if you've ever seen uh, any, any uh, contest, in fact, I'll just mention this, we were over at Cody and Lawrence for Thanksgiving. You know, we watched a little bit of that Hearns-Hagler fight back in 1985 and uh, probably the greatest heavyweight or not heavyweight but uh, middleweight boxing match uh, of all time right those guys went out there and for three rounds they were throwing haymakers and of course the marvelous Marvin Hagler won by knocking the hitman Thomas Hearns out and uh, at the end of that fight those guys had nothing left man I mean they were throwing everything they had well you know what spiritually speaking in our spiritual fights, we're going to get tired, and we need the Lord to come along and lift us up and uphold us as He's always done. 
And we find that the Lord will do that for us. He is all ability in the spiritual realm. And I said we'd read a couple verses in Isaiah. We read Isaiah 50 and verse 2. How about Isaiah 59 verse number 1 where the Lord answers the question that he posed in Isaiah 52. In Isaiah 50 and verse 2, he, he poses the question, Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? And then in Isaiah 59 verse number 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. And so this speaks about the ability of the Lord. He is all-powerful in the physical realm, in creation. He's all-powerful in the spiritual realm, in conversion. And he's all-powerful as it relates to his own counsel to apply both. So this talks about the physical and the spiritual realm. God applies his power as he sees fit. Now we're going to talk more about this in one of the later points, but I just want to point this out here. Psalms 115 and verse number 3. Psalms 115 and verse number 3. Here the psalmist writes, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. God does what He pleases. I was having a conversation with somebody at work the other day, and uh, we were talking about, you know, getting ready for the weekend, and, oh man, it's a slow day, and, you know, we just like to go home now and uh you know and i i mentioned like you remember when we we're in high school you know and you're thinking oh when i graduate from high school i can do whatever i want uh oh yeah that means get a job and support yourself oh uh, you want to do that uh you know we think that oh when i'm an adult i can do whatever i want yeah you can't do whatever you want there are problems and ramifications when you do whatever you want you know when you do whatever you want pardon me but you know where you wind up my 600-pound life, <laughs> okay? You eat whatever you want. You don't exercise. You wind up on my 600-pound life. I'll do whatever I want. Well, you'll wind up in the welfare line, okay? I'm just telling you. There are natural laws that we must abide by, and we don't get to do whatever we want here on this earth. You know who does? God. God has the ability to choose to do whatever He wants. The old uh, Baptist J.P. Boyce wrote this. But whatever may be the power of man, it is evident that it is marked by limitations, not only as to what can be done, but also as to the way in which it may be done. In ascribing power to God, however, we must exclude all such limitations. Not only is He all-powerful and the Almighty, but He needs not instrumental contact. In other words, God doesn't need to be prompted to do something. He does what he does based upon the counsel of his own will. And we could go to Ephesians chapter number 1 and read multiple verses there that tell us that. And so the first practical insight that we consider as it relates to the Lord God omnipotent and God's omnipotence is the ability of God's power. He can do what he desires to do. He has the ultimate ability. And then secondly, we must consider the abstinences of God's power. The abstinences of God's power. Because, now think about this. And I, I just used some rather crude illustrations in talking about us as human beings doing whatever we wanted, right? I could, if I wanted to, quit my job and sit home and eat all day. And I would balloon up to 300 pounds. I would have a heart attack and die. There's no doubt in my mind, right? Uh, you, you can't... You, you, <laughs> I'm being frank this morning. You can't do it just what you want to do. But 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 the point I'm making is that I, I, I could do that if I wanted to, right? It wouldn't be wise. It wouldn't be a good choice, but I could do it if I wanted to. I could this morning 
say, uh, you know what, uh, I'm not going to rely on the scriptures anymore where the Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. I'm just going to go ahead and take my own vengeance. I could do that, couldn't I? And I could also wind up in prison. How do you think that would work for a prosecutor in prison? Uh, I don't want to try it, okay? But I could do that if I wanted to, right? God can do whatever he desires. It's with he has the ability to do that except except something that is not in accord with his nature. I can freely sin if I want to. Right? I have that free will to be able to do that. I can choose to live for Christ or I can choose not to live for Christ. I can choose to uh, engage in a wicked, a vile lifestyle. And God's probably going to let me to do that. He's going to try to chasten me. But if I desire to do that and I continue to do that, God's going to let me do that. And, and there will be ramifications. God cannot do that. God cannot display His power and ability in a way that is not in accordance with His character. God cannot sin. God is not the author of sin. And in fact, we're told in the book of Nahum, chapter number 1, right along around verse number 13, that God is of purer eyes that He cannot even look on iniquity. That's why when Christ was on the cross and He said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God is of holy eyes. He is not the author of iniquity. He cannot commit iniquity. And so when we talk about God's power and His omnipotence, we must clarify and include the abstinences of God's power. There are things that God cannot do because they are not in the nature of God. Again, I quote J.P. Boyce, the old Baptist. He wrote, But while God is not subject to the limitations which thus affect us, He is limited in His power. These limitations, however, are such as arise not from without, but from the excellence and perfection of His own nature. Hence, the limitations are concurrent with His will, which can never desire to do what his nature does not permit. Right? So, so God is not limited in his ability by what you and I would do. We can't stop God from acting. God, God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. But God stops himself from taking certain actions because they're not things that he desires to do because they're not in his nature. Did you ever think about that? We desire... in, in, in be honest with yourself this morning. There are times when we desire that which is sinful. We do. God never desires that which is sinful. God never desires to do something that would be uh, contrary to His nature. You and I all the time desire to do things that are contrary to the new man, the new nature. And we look at that. Paul describes that in Romans chapter number 7, doesn't he? The things that I don't want to do, I do. The things that I do want to do, I don't do. He's talking about our, our conundrum that we're in where we have the old man, the flesh, battling against the new man, the new nature. God doesn't have that battle. God doesn't desire to do that which is not in accord with His nature. Now, when we think about the abstinence of God, the abstinences of God's power... There are really uh, five different areas where we see the abstinences of God's power. And first of all, God cannot create sin. God is not the author of sin. Hey, listen, when you have people that rise up and say, you have a homosexual that says, oh, well, I was born this way. God made me this way. No, He didn't. God did not make somebody sin. 
God does not create sin. God does not make somebody an alcoholic. God does not make somebody a drug addict. God does not make somebody a sex addict. You are not born that way. People have ascribed to this philosophy for one reason, and that reason is that it takes their accountability out of the picture. Well, I'm not to fault God made me that way. You take a serial killer. I've heard serial killers interviewed, and they say, well, I was made this way. You were not made that way. Oh, well, there's a serial killer gene. Hey, look, man, you choose to take that action. God does not create sin. In fact, God cannot create sin. He is not the author of sin. So what are the absences of God's power? He cannot create sin. He cannot impose laws which are not in accord with His righteousness and holiness. God cannot impose laws upon you and tell you to do something that is not in accord with His righteousness and holiness. That's why when somebody says to me, well, God spoke to me and told me to do this. But it's contrary to God's Word. I don't have to question any further. I automatically know you're not telling the truth. Now, you might be deceived and really think that God told you to do that. Okay? But it's not the truth. God never tells you to violate the Word of God. You say to, you come to me and you say, Oh, you know what? God spoke to me last night and I'm going to be a modern day Abraham and God told me to take my child and put him on an offering thing and to slay them as a burnt offering unto God. I'm going to say to you, hold on while I call the police because you're a nut. God didn't tell you to do that. God didn't tell you to slay your child. God does not give us commands and laws that are not in accord with His righteousness and holiness. And if we would just grasp that basic rule of God's nature and character, how much, how many problems would we uh, be able to avoid? Well, I'm going to do this. I'm, how about this? I'm going to move here. Was there a church there? Well, no, but you know, God told me to do it. No, He didn't. He didn't tell you to do that. You might want to be there. It might be more convenient for you. You might like it here. God didn't tell you to do that. Well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to marry this person. Well, did you follow God's guidance on who to marry? No, but I just got that ooey-gooey feeling and I'm going to marry them. God didn't tell you to do that. You say, oh, preacher, you're very bold this morning. I am not. I am telling you what the Word of God says. God does not give us laws or commands or guidance which are not in accordance with His righteousness and His holiness. Thirdly, God does not and cannot deal with any of His creatures unjustly. Now, I'm working on a message coming up here. Got a number of things in the hopper, right? And, and I'm working on a message dealing with the topic of being always just. Always just. And, you know, when we think about God, God is always just. Can the God of this universe and the God of this world do unjustly? Is, the God, is God a God of injustice? He cannot deal with any of His creatures unjustly. And so when something happens to us and we say, well, God is... God is unjust in allowing this to happen. We don't understand God. We don't understand our own situation. So how can God allow this to happen? God clearly doesn't care about me or anyone else here on this earth. Why would God allow somebody to come in and, and, and kill all these people in an elementary school? You don't understand God. You don't understand the nature of man. God does not deal with any of His creatures unjustly. We ought to remember that because we all have to answer to God. 
we all stand before God. We're going to bow the knee to Christ either here on this earth or in the world to come. And we must remember that God cannot deal with any of His creatures unjustly because He's all just. He's a God of justice. Fourthly, God does not... We already talked about the fact that God cannot create sin. God cannot commit sin. He's unable to commit sin. This is why I have a problem with people that say, well, here on the earth, Jesus Christ didn't sin, but He could have. Well, is Christ God? Then He could not have. Well, yeah, but He's man. Yeah, I understand He's man, but He's also God. God cannot commit sin. Christ could not have committed sin. And I could prove that to you from the Scriptures. In Hebrews 6, verse 18, it says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. It is impossible for God to lie. And the prophecies of Christ said that He would be pure and perfect and that He would be the only begotten Son of God. God's Son cannot sin because God cannot sin. And so God not only cannot create sin, God cannot commit sin. And then fifthly and last, we're talking about the abstinences of God's power, the abstinences of the Lord God omnipotent. He cannot change His decrees or purposes. I just read to you, He's immutable. He doesn't change. That's why when people say, and this drives me, man, listen, get me started today, right? Don't get me started. Somebody comes to you and says, well, you know, we've had this Bible for all these years. But now we have a better Bible. We have the English Standard Version. The New American Standard Version. The Revised Standard Version. The Amplified Version. We've got all these different versions, and guess what? They're better than the old one. And God changed. And you say, well, they don't say that God changed. Well, they might not say it, but they mean it. Because what the New says contradicts what the Old said. And we could go through place after place in the Bible where that's the case. God does not change His decrees or purposes. God, You're never going to hear somebody who truly knows the Lord get up and say, well, you know, God's Word says this, but He gave me this, this, this continuing prophecy. And God spoke only through me. I, I'm Joseph Smith. God gave me a new revelation. And here are these plates. And now we start this whole religion based upon what I said. God cannot change His decrees or purposes. He is immutable. He does not change. And so these are, these are issues and areas that we must deal with when we're talking about the Lord God omnipotent and His almighty ability and His power. There are abstinences of God's power. There are things that He cannot do because of His nature. Now we move thirdly to this third practical insight. And this involves the authority of God's power. So, so far we've looked at the ability of God's power, the abstinences of God's power, now the authority of God's power. Now, God has the ability to do what He wants to do. He has the power to do it, right? Now, I have the ability to go to our neighbor's house and 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 take their potted plant on the porch and, and take it to my house and put it on my porch. I have the ability to do that. Nothing prohibits me from doing that. There's not a pit bull uh, in their front yard. Uh, both of my neighbors are pretty docile people, right? So I think, you know, I hate to say it, but I think I could take them if we got into a fist fight. Okay, so so uh, 
they are rather elderly, I should say that, okay? But I have the ability to go over and take that off their porch and put it on my porch. But you know what I don't have the, uh, you know what I don't have? The authority to do that. They didn't tell me I could do that. I don't have the authority to do that. I don't have the authority to go on their property and take something. You know what that's called? Theft, right? I, it's stealing. I can't do that. I don't have the authority to do that. God has not only ability, the ability, but he has the authority to display his power. Now, God's omnipotence, God's omnipotence includes his, are you ready for this? Sovereignty. His sovereignty. His power includes his sovereignty. What is sovereignty? It is supreme authority. Now, we talked about the Greek word for uh, power. Be, uh, one of the Greek words for power is dunamis or dynamite. That deals with the ability. Like, I can lift this up. I have the ability, the power to lift this up. Supreme authority deals with exousia. The Greek word exousia, which means authority. Now, if I had the power and the authority to go take my neighbor's potted plant and put it on my porch, no one could say anything about it. Because if, so, if my other neighbor saw me going over and taking the potted plant and putting it on my porch, and they said, hey, what are you doing? That's Joe's potted plant. I said, hey, Joe told me I could have it. I took it. It's on my porch. I have the authority and the ability. God has the authority and the ability. God does as he pleases because he has the ability to do so. But he does as he pleases because he can. He has the authority to do so. God doesn't need your approval or my approval to display his ability or his power. How about this in Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10? In Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Verse 10, Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying... My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. That means God does as He pleases. He has the ability to do what He wants to do, and He has the authority to do as He pleases. Is this your God? When you think of God, do you think of a God that has the ability and the authority to do as He pleases? Because if not, it's not the God of the Bible. And there are many people that are following a God with a little g who's not the God of the Bible, right? Make sure your God is the God of Scripture. Uh, A.W. Pink wrote in reference to the sovereignty of God. By the way, A.W. Pink wrote a marvelous book on the sovereignty of God. A.W. Pink wrote, The sovereignty of God. What do we mean by this expression? We mean the supremacy of God, the kingship of God, the godhood of God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that God is God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that He is the Most High, that He is the Almighty, that He is the Governor among the nations, that He is the only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Such is the God of the Bible. So God is, is omnipotent as it relates to His ability. God is omnipotent as it relates to His authority. Now, when we think about the authority of God's power, we first of all must confess and come to the realization that God rules as He pleases. God rules as He pleases. Back in our text verse in, in Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 6. Let's read it again. Revelation chapter 19 verse number 6. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thunderings saying, Alleluia! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He reigneth. That word there in the Greek is basilu. Basilu. Okay? 
And it appears 18 times in the New Testament. Do you know that 17 times it appears as rain, R-E-I-G-N? One time it is translated in the New Testament by the word king. And guess where that's at? That's in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15 where Paul writes that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords, the only potentate, and King of Kings. And guess what the Greek word for kings is? Basilu. It means He reigns supreme over all. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He does as He pleases. We could go back and read. Let's let's do this for time's sake this morning. Let's go to Daniel chapter number 4. And let me just read two verses this morning in Daniel chapter number 4. And we're going to read verse 25 and verse 35 that set the tone for God's uh, authority to do as He rule, pleases here on this earth by ruling on this earth. Daniel chapter 4 verse 25. That they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Then verse 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? God rules and reigns as he pleases. Psalms 22 verse 28 reads, For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. Do you know that what happens here on this earth happens by the authority of God? You say, oh man, things are so horrible. We got this guy who who can't even talk as our president. You know, that's by God's authority. God has allowed that to happen. And again, I tell you, go back and look at the kings of Israel and Judah. We studied all of them. And there were many times when God said, okay, this is what you want, this is what you get. You get what you ask for. Right? You know, it's like, it's like Psalm 116, you know, where uh, the, the Bible says that the people requested something of God and God gave them their request but sent leanness under their souls. God can do that. God rules as He pleases. Don't ever think that, well, you know, this reprobate got elected President of the United States. God is not in control. God's completely in control. And God can allow that to happen for His own purposes. Do you know that God can allow the United States to fall by His own purposes? If that's what He pleases to do. If He says, you know what, you bunch of reprobates have shaken your fist in my face enough, I'm done. God can do that. We must not presume upon God's good grace. God is not beholden to the United States. We're not God's chosen nation. Israel is God's chosen nation. God has been good to us and gracious to us. But we must not presume upon God's grace. He rules as He pleases. A.A. Hodge wrote that His sovereignty and ruling as He pleases. He writes, His absolute right to govern and dispose of all His creatures simply according to His own good pleasure. God can do as He pleases. He rules as He pleases. We're talking about the authority of God's power. He rules as He pleases. He has every right to rule as He pleases. Does God not have every right to rule as He pleases? Go with me. We don't have time to read it this morning, but go back to Romans chapter number 9. We like to avoid scriptures that don't fit with our theology or our thoughts of God. Go back to Romans chapter number 9, read verses 11 through 25. And those verses clearly tell us that God has mercy on whom He has pleases to have mercy. 
in whom he will, he hardeneth. And when it talks about hardening, it means that God just leaves them alone and lets them do what their wicked devices and intents desire to do. God has mercy upon whom will have mercy and compassion upon whom will have compassion. God has every right to do what he wants to do. I'll close with these two quotes. One from Charles Hodge. And listen to this as it relates to God having every right to do as he pleases. God is no less sovereign in the distribution of his favors. He does what he wills with his own. He gives to some riches, to others honor. To others health, while others are poor, unknown, or the victims of disease. To some the light of the gospel is sent, others are left in darkness. Some are brought through faith unto salvation, others perish in unbelief. To the question, why is this? The only answer is that given by our Lord. The only answer is that given by our Lord. Even so, Father, for it seemeth good in Thy sight. Now, when you understand that and you know that, does that not help you have a better understanding of events that happen here on this earth? Why does God do that? I don't know. He's God. It seemed good in His sight. Is that not good enough for you? Do you need something better than that? God is God. And then George W. Northrop, a Baptist preacher of the early 1900s, he wrote this. God is not bound to bestow the same endowments upon creatures, nor to keep all in a state of holiness forever, nor to redeem the fallen, nor to secure the greatest happiness of the universe. But he is bound to purpose and to do what his absolute holiness requires. He has no attributor, no will, no sovereignty above this law of his being. He cannot lie, he cannot deny himself, he cannot look upon sin with complacency. He cannot acquit the guilty without atonement. Thus, the sacrifice of Christ. God cannot just overlook sin and say, hey, you know, I'm going to save these people without the sacrifice of Christ. The point, the point here is that God is not directed by us. I think sometimes we misinterpret what prayer is. You know, I'm going to pray, and when I pray, I'm going to move God to do something that God doesn't want to do or God wasn't going to do. That's not prayer. When we pray in accordance with the will of God, God's Spirit leads us what to pray for. And we pray for what is right in the sight of God. And sometimes you get a yes, and sometimes you get a no. Is that not true? I mean, there's nobody here that says, everything I've ever prayed for, God has answered. That's not true. There are things that we pray for when we pray amiss, and God's no, God knows better. Sometimes we pray a righteous prayer, and we say, God, we ask you to do this humbly, and, and we, it's a righteous prayer, but God has other purposes in mind, and He doesn't do that. Are you upset with God when that happens? God is God. He has a right to rule as he, see, as he pleases, as He sees fit. You know why? Because He's God and we're not. That is the way it is. It's the way it is. You know, children sometimes get upset with their parents. Oh, my parents didn't let me do this. They didn't let me go there. They didn't let me do this. Well, you know what? When you have your own kids, make your choices. Don't complain to me about what I did because I did what I thought was right and proper in the sight of God. Was I perfect? No. Take care of your own family, right? I do what I think is right and appropriate. Well, guess what? God does what is right and appropriate and He doesn't make mistakes. He is perfect. He is altogether perfect. And so, does this not help us in our walk here on this earth to understand you know, God is good. God is all good. And He does as He pleases. God cannot do that which is unjust or unrighteous. That brings me comfort. God is all-powerful. God can do whatever needs to be done. That brings me great comfort. 
God has the authority to do that. He doesn't have to ask anyone for that. God is good. God is righteous. John wrote about the marriage supper of the Lamb in the entrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wrote that when they saw Christ, they being the multitudes, which I believe are typical of all the saints that are going to be there and give praise, honor, and glory unto the Lord at the marriage supper, uh, they cried out, Hallelujah. To the Lord be glory. Hallelujah. Why? For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He reigns forever and ever. We looked at three practical insights from God's omnipotence. The ability of God's power, the abstinences of God's power, the authority of God's power. I pray that not only this day, but this week and every day and every hour of this week, we bask in the omnipotence of God. It's a comfort for the saints of God. Let's pray.